Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glut. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on American Glutton, I've got IFBB Pro cookbook author and internet sensation Greg Doucette. You can find Greg and his hilarious videos on YouTube or at Greg Doucette IFBB Pro on Instagram. Greg Doucette, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Happy to be here. I'm excited. Super excited. I'm so excited to talk to you. You're, uh, first of all, like just your energy watching your videos. I always feel pumped up. Like it doesn't even matter if what you're talking about is super applicable to what I'm needing at the moment, but I just really like your energy. So I'm happy to talk to you. Thank you. That's great. And I do do it on purpose. I, before a video, I'm like, kind of sometimes I'll be, I have no energy. I'm out of the loop. And I'm like, as soon as the camera's on, I'm like, okay, amp it up, get energy. Cause when I was a school teacher, I'd walk into a phys ed class. The kids are kind of sitting there bored from, you know, being in class all day. And I'm like, okay, it's time to turn on and get them pumped to be physically active. So I feel like it's the same thing doing a video. Totally. Yeah. Sometimes in the gym, in between sets, I'll watch your videos cause they, they do give me a jolt. So I really appreciate it. Oh, that's great. Happy to hear it. What, uh, what I, I have like 300 things I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you event, eventually about cardio and, and specifically about cycling, but I want to talk first about just weight loss and what are your ideas on the state or the, uh, you know, if you look out at the landscape of weight loss in general today, 
what is the thing that catches you and makes you go like, I need to step into here. I need to talk to people about this. There's just so many myths and it's gotten worse. People are actually getting fatter over time, especially what's with what's going on in the world right now. People are actually getting fatter. They're getting worse and everyone will pay anything to lose weight. It's such an epidemic and not enough people are talking about it. People are trying to trick people and how do you lose weight? How do you not? There's so many scams, so much misinformation. And so the problem is everyone is saying something different and no one knows who to listen to. Like, why should someone listen to me or someone else or someone else? Like, how do you know? And that's the biggest problem. Yeah, exactly. How do you know? I mean, listen, I grew up for most of my life in Los Angeles, and I feel like that might be the epicenter for bad fad diets because they all seem to come through there and people then cling to them. You know, there there will be um, people who adamantly are against, uh, you know, cucumber skin, like cucumber skin is poisoning everyone, you know, like that. That'll be a diet. And then the guy will say like, everybody should be eating more meat. And this same guy now is like, no meat is bad. You have to have, uh, you know, su uh, supplement your diet with vegetable protein or something like this. And, and there's just so much noise. So how does one, if one finds himself in the position where they're like, I just want to plan whose plan should I listen to? What is what, what what would do people do to like filter through all that noise to get to something that's going to work long term? Okay. And so I think the problem is every single diet works. So that is the problem is no matter who you listen to, it's going to work. And you're going to have somebody that's going to say, yeah, I did that. And it did in fact work for me. That's a huge problem because it doesn't matter the diet. As long as you're in a calorie deficit, you're losing weight. The problem is you can't keep the weight off. So the yo-yo dieting keeps happening year after year. So what happens every single year you go on a diet, you lose weight, you gain it back. And the next trend or fad that people are trying to make money on that becomes all the all new rate, whether it's any, any diet, doesn't matter. So the, the problem is what we need to do is we need to pick a diet that we can sustain forever for the rest of our lives. And that is a smaller diet and a less exciting diet because the slower you lose the weight, the more likely you are to keep the weight off. So people aren't as excited. So if I say I got the great diet, it's going to allow you to lose probably five to 10 pounds a month. And someone else says mine loses 20 pounds a month. Their diet looks better. Mine is better because you slowly lose the weight and keep it off. But theirs, it makes them feel better. Every week they're looking in the mirror and they're like, wow, look at the changes. Problem is it doesn't work forever. So the problem is trying to convince people to take your time, lose the weight slowly and not go for that dream physique, that six pack of abs, because once you get there, you're not going to be happy anyway. And telling people, don't go for that goal, go halfway there. That's discouraging. I've been, I've been, um, a lot of people have hated on me for that because I keep telling me, uh, you know, imagine your dream physique, wake it, wake up. You're not getting it. You're not getting your dream physique. Go halfway there. And it's like, no, shoot for the stars and reach the moon. I'm like, no, shoot for the moon and reach the moon. So I think that's the really big problem. People just don't want to stick it, stick it out and, and take their time with things. You, you know, we want it yesterday. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to hear. Don't go for the dream package. When I look at you and you have the dream package. So you've, You've gone there, you know how much hard work it is, but I, I think it's a, I think it's the most rational position to take. I, you know, my dream package, my dream body isn't going to look like yours because I did a lot more damage. I have a lot of loose skin and a lot of other issues that I'm dealing with. But when I got down to my lowest, I just know that like I did a, a like a, a cut and a prep week and had uh, vascularity over my abs, which was wild to see. 
And I was miserable. I was so fatigued. I, when I try to flex, I would almost pass out. Like my vision would get dark. I had low blood pressure. I had no energy at all. And then the day I did a photo shoot, I ate some food and gained nine pounds. I put salt back into my diet. And I was like, I don't know that getting to that point, which was fun. And I'm glad I did it. And I'm sure I'll do it again in my life, but it's so hard. And then I have vascularity in my abs and it's like, there's no way to sustain this. It's just not in the cards. Like I would be miserable and focused on it all the time. My dream physique would be Chris Bumstead, four or 5% body <laughs> fat, Mr. Olympia looking fantastic. And I look pretty good now for most people. If they could look the way I did, they'd, they'd be probably more than satisfied. The problem is you're never satisfied. When I was a younger kid, I thought, I want to be 160 shredded. That would be like my dream. That's my fan. And I got there. I did it. And then when I got to 170 ripped, 170, and then it kept going. I was never happy. I'm like, I just want a pro card. When I won my pro card, I want to win a pro show. When I broke a Canadian record in the bench, I want the world record. You're never satisfied. So and what you just described, you used to be 550 pounds. And I believe you got down to 215 with all the bike riding you did and stuff. You did exactly what I would have done for a bodybuilding prep. You did the same thing, the same suffering you did to get to your, and I saw your pictures. There's friggin' shreds in the legs, vascularity, you were ripped. So you had the same suffering that I had. And so it's not sustainable. When I die to my peak form, I'm just under 5% body fat, miserable. I feel horrible. If you paid me a billion dollars to look like that, I wouldn't do it. I'd be like, there's no way. I do it for competition for a week. But if I had to sustain that, my life would be absolute misery. So it's just not worth it. So I preached, you know, halfway. I'm halfway right now. I would like to be 5%. I'm closer to 9 to 10. But if I let myself go and just eight, it'd probably be 15 to 20% because my genetics are, are pretty good. I could sustain that if I eat whatever I want. So I preach, you know, halfway there, something sustainable where you're, you're making some sacrifices, but not too many that life sucks. Yeah, some effort, like, you know, especially for, me who who comes from being morbidly obese and many people who I talk to who are who are confronting massive weight loss, I think finding some uh, equilibrium there is really, really a good place to be. Some effort is maybe required forever. Like you talk about find the diet you can do for the rest of your life because you've mindlessly put effort into building your body huge with fat, right? There has been effort towards that. So it's going to require some effort, but I like what you're saying about halfway there. It doesn't have to be so extreme. And the beauty about halfway there is once you get halfway, you've got it. You can go for it again. You can go halfway to your dream again. Just keep going halfway because you'll never approach your actual dream. You'll never actually get it because if you did get that dream, it's not your dream anymore. If your dream was, I want to win a million dollars or I want a million followers on YouTube or I want to be a famous movie star, it's never enough. You reach that and you're like, now what? You know, the dopamine rush of being that in that hit movie or that TV series. And then it's like, I love this feeling. I want more of it. It's never going to be enough. Yeah. That's, I think that's probably just human nature, right? That we, that we always want more. I haven't, uh, I think the other thing is maybe, and, and this might uh, tie into people doing diets too quickly. It's like, once you get to the point where you, you make some goal, like I want to be X pounds, I want to do it as quickly as possible. And you're, you know, killing yourself at 500 calories a day or whatever it is, or just doing hours and hours of cardio. 
and you get to this goal of whatever you said the number was, and then you have nothing left to shoot for, right? It, it's kind of like a dead end. Yeah. It's like doing a bodybuilding show. There is so much motivation to get to the stage. I can suffer through anything. I'm hungry all day. I feel like garbage. I can't sleep two, three hours a night. I feel horrible, but I know I have that show and that goal. But then once you do the show, whether you win or lose, it's kind of like postpartum depression. It's like, now what? You actually feel depressed. You've done the show. Maybe you're Chris Bumstead. You won the Mr. Olympia. Then what? It's like, well, I just spent four months of my life, everything geared to this goal. I did it. Celebrate. Yeah. A couple of days. It's great. And then what? And, 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 and then you gain the fat again. And then the cycle continues up and down, up and down, yo-yo dieting. That's why I'm so much against the bulk and cut theory or the, that bulking and cutting. Cause you, you bulk up, you gain some fat and you're not as happy with how you look. And then you say, oh, I got to cut. And then you get to your look. And then you're like, now I got to bulk again, rather than just I'm going to maintain this weight like what I am now. And I'm always going to be happy. I look in the mirror every day. I'm happy with how I look and I have other goals. I'm going to get faster on my bike. I'm going to try to lift more weight. I'm going to try to build more muscle, but I'm not going to worry about trying to shoot for this unsustainable percentage of body fat that I think people need to see just because the social media said so. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Do you ever find that the broader social media platforms are a little bit impersonal? Well, I do too. Sometimes it's hard to cut through all the noise on them. So we've started a Patreon. And it's got all the normal things a Patreon podcast typically has, like bonus ad-free and video episodes. But the part I'm loving the most is the American Glutton Discord channel, which is only available through Patreon. If you want to chat about diets or recipes, workout routines or motivation, it's all happening there. So search up American Glutton on Patreon to join the community today. Yeah, well, I, I've done exactly one quote unquote bulk in my life after I lost a bunch of weight. And then I was like, I'm going to put on some muscle. Right. And I was really unhappy kind of the whole time because the habits of overeating are really kind of feel dangerous to me. And they are, they are literally dangerous to me. So I, it's not something I like, I, I think for somebody who has, has had a uh, massive weight loss or is going to confront massive weight loss, the idea of then doing these kind of bodybuilder bulks, I would go into very, very cautiously because you are suddenly you know, it's different from maintenance where you're like, this is how much fuel my body needs to survive to I need a big surplus of calories in order to build muscle. It, it, it is kind of like um, slipping back into habits almost. I think people would be absolutely shocked to see that I was one of the worst eaters you would have ever met growing up. I ate worse than all my friends. It was all, if it wasn't chips or deep fried chicken nuggets or deep fried French fries and the leftovers, I deep fry them again. I ate all shit and I had a horrible like diet overall. It was just bad donuts. The reason I was in shape is because I was doing five hours of cardio a day. I was training for triathlons. I was athlete of the year. I was involved in all sports. I burn off the five or 6,000 calories a day. I was eating all crap every day. Then I got into bodybuilding competitions. I'd lose the weight, gain the weight, lose weight, did all that stuff. And I eventually got used to eating a certain way, pretty healthy. I got used to the foods because after you get away from eating ice cream all the time, it, it comes easier. It gets easier. Your body adapts to how you're eating. Then I bulked. I said, I'm breaking 
the world record in the bench press. And I started bulking and I was force feeding. I was eating, uh, you know, five, 6,000 calories a day. So much so that I would wake up in the middle of the night. I'm throwing up. I can't keep the food down. I'm physically trying to keep it down to get fatter on purpose. Cause the more I weighed, the heavier I could lift, the stronger I would get. Then when I said the bulk's over, I didn't break the record. I was close. I couldn't, pre- I, I just couldn't do it. I said, it's time to cut back down and, and maintain that healthy lean body that I used to have. It was a nightmare. I was craving ice cream every single night because I was eating two liters of it a day. And then when I started eating a couple spoons full, I was like, I couldn't stop. It tasted so good. I couldn't stop. So I can relate, even though I've never been, you know, 400 pounds, I still know what it's like to be binge eating and not be able to stop. Couldn't stop eating. It'd be two liters and I'd eat another two liters. I'm like, how do I stop this? It took probably a year to get over that bulk. And so when I tell people, I don't like you to bulk and cut, it's because I've experienced it myself. I know how hard it is. And I, I'm comfortable with my body. I have a lot of self-esteem and I'm looking at my physique and I'm like, I'm used to having the full six pack. And once I lost it, I'm like, I don't like the way I look as much. That's hard for me. And that's me who's a confident guy. And I'm picturing younger teenagers and people that are twenties, males and females, and they're going through the same thing. And if it was hard on me, how hard is it on them? Yeah. Yeah. And how hard is it on somebody who has um, whatever compulsions an addict has that causes, you know, obsessive or compulsive overeating to then dabble in that? You know, when I talk to people who uh, talk to me about like, I want to lose all this weight and then put on a bunch of muscle, I'm like, okay, be very, very careful. And the easier way, the better strategy, in my opinion, is go super, super slow and use some resistance training while you're losing weight to retain muscle. And you probably have more muscle than you imagine, right? Yeah, I would 100% recommend that. The smaller the calorie deficit, so the closer you're out of maintenance, the more likely you're going to not only hold on to the muscle as you're dieting, but also build muscle because you can build muscle in a calorie deficit. You're using the energy from your fat stores to build the muscle. So if you're 400 pounds and you want to lose 200, you can lose the 200 pounds while building muscle. You might not need to get to 200. You could build 10, 20 pounds in the process. But if you crash diet and you're losing five or 10 pounds or even 20 pounds, like some of these TV shows you see, you lose all that weight too quickly. You're losing muscle as well as the fat. And you might think, geez, if I get down to 200, I'll look great. You might be 150 because you're losing 50 pounds of muscle in the process. So by far, the best thing you can do is the slower you can convince yourself to lose weight, the better. The slower, the better. Let it take years It took probably 10 or 20 years to put on the fat in the first place. Why not take your time in losing the weight? Better to lose the weight, keep it off, than yo-yo diet every year, losing 50 pounds in a month, and then you just end up rebounding weight, gaining it all back. I think it's a much better strategy, especially if, you know, because I think that I've gained and lost weight many times. I yo-yo dieted for years. And when I try to, like, um, really go back to the moments of, no, I was so committed to this. And I would think about what was I committed to? I was just committed to weight loss as quick as possible. There was no thought beyond that, really. It was just so it was it was finally when I went, this whole life that I'm living is unmanageable and I want to unravel it so that I can just get to a place of equilibrium for long-term. What is that going to take? And, you know, there was a time when I thought it was, uh, you know, uh, that I was allergic to carbohydrates and that my Mm -hmm. equilibrium was just that I had to quit carbohydrates forever. But even that I found very easy to overeat meat and fat. 
cheese, cheeseburgers, going to, you know, fast food and having them just pull the bun off of something, I wasn't losing weight. So finding, you know, and, and people get very upset by the idea of calories, um, not everybody, but some. And so you can call it whatever you want, energy, um, fuel, whatever amount of this energy that your body needs, finding that and looking long-term and thinking about how for the rest of my life, if I go above this number, I'm going to gain weight. And if I maintain this number, I'm going to stay the same. And if I go slightly under this number, I will lose weight slowly. I think it's just a much better strategy. Exactly. I like how you put equilibrium, which to me means just to maintain yourself, to the maintenance, being able to have balance in your life, this equilibrium. And you mentioned that carbs, you had to cut those out because it just was too hard. For me, those are trigger foods. Everyone has a trigger food. I call trigger foods things that you eat that you have a hard time putting the fork down. For me, cereal. I had to stop having boxes of cereal. I love cereal. I'm like, and I'm not saying you can't have cereal, but for me, I can't have cereal. If I want to maintain this physique right here under 10, I can't have cereal. If I do, I just can't stop. I eat the whole box. Another ice, another item is ice cream. I couldn't do it. I can't to this day have the ice cream and not eat the two liters. I just don't have the willpower. So we all have things that we don't have willpower for. I have a strong motivation to exercise and to eat healthy, but there's certain triggers that I just can't handle. So if you get rid of the triggers and find replacements for those that is how you can have this equilibrium or balance that you're talking about. Ice cream, I don't buy anymore. I have Greek frozen Greek yogurt bars, the 100 calorie bars, um, chocolate bars that I can't stop eating. I have the protein bars instead. And cereal, I have popcorn and popcorn has saved my life. I'm telling you, I love the popcorn. I'm eating two, three, four bags a day. It takes care of every snack craving that I have because I'm a eat the whole box of crackers. I'm going to eat the whole box of cookies. I've always been like that. And with popcorn, I can eat the whole box. Literally, I could eat bag after bag after bag for hours and I'm not gaining weight. So that saved me. So other people that are listening to this, if you have a trigger food, find something that's lower in calories that you can replace that with, get rid of the trigger food and you can have this balance or equilibrium that we're talking about. Well, okay, great. This is a great segue too, because talking about this and talking about uh, strategies around food, you have a cookbook. You have a cookbook that basically is all of this it is like, if you have a craving for ice cream, here's what you can do. And here's what you can make. And you can satisfy that urge, right? It, it, it is all, all those things. Absolutely. That's why I had the book that's I've, I've dieted for 59 competitions. And I, every time I did a diet, I learned about some other food that I could eat instead of what I wanted to eat. And you just find a way when you're always hungry, when you're always starving and you know from dieting how hard it is and how how much you suffer, you find anything, any trick to make it easier. So over the years, I just developed recipes that allowed me to do this. Like today, I had three French toasts. And I had three of my uh, salmon rice cakes and I had a wrap. If I had had regular French toast and regular wraps and, and regular sandwiches, they would have had double the calories. I wouldn't be in that deficit or in that maintenance to allow me to have this equilibrium. So just having that cookbook, it's been a savior. I eat probably four out of my five meals a day from the book. And even if it's only one, that one is enough to make that difference. If you have one swap in your life, one meal that's lower in calories and you do it every day, you're going to lose weight for the rest of your life. It's that's all you need to do. Yeah. Is that your major, was that your major um, impetus, the impetus behind writing this book? Was it that you had all these tricks in up your sleeve from all the dieting that you had done and you just wanted to share it? 
It actually stemmed from my coaching. I was a, a, a very popular bodybuilding or diet coach in my area of, of, of in Canada here. I was coaching a number of people to do weight loss journeys, whether it was losing a hundred pounds or, or getting setting foot on a, on a bodybuilding stage or bikini stage, you know, those kind of things. And people were always eating chicken, broccoli and rice. It was all, I I'm telling you, every diet was like that. And people were hiring me. And I was like, for example, Ian Blair, the IFBB pro, he's in the Mr. Olympia competes and I'm giving him a diet. He's like peanut butter and banana sandwiches, popcorn, <laughs> French toast. Really? I can eat this stuff. I'm like, yup. And he's eating it and he's winning show after show after show. And the guys I'm coaching these people in the area and they're like, really, this is the diet. And it kind of started to spread out all the other coaches in the area. Well, not all, but a lot started saying, I want to eat like Greg. I want to eat that Greg diet. Cause it's like, it's so good. I can't believe they're losing. Well, look at him. He's winning. Ian's winning. These people are winning. And it's working. And so then from there, I started making more YouTube videos because I wanted people to hire me for coaching. So for me, YouTube was an avenue because I'm like, I can't just coach Canada. I want to coach you United States. I want to coach everywhere. And it started to take off. And I, I did so many different videos. And eventually I was like, I can't coach this many people. I, I had 60 plus people at the same time coaching. I was like, this is, I was working 12 and 14 hour days, like just doing coaching plans. I was like, I can't do it. So made the cookbook and then people that wanted all my recipes, cause I was showing videos of what I was eating and protein ice cream and stuff with the over the head challenge. And then it started to sell at first. I was sold, sold a, a few, like it was not doing too bad. Then eventually when the word got around and people started using the book and making videos about it, the sales, they blew up. They were literally a hundredfold. I was like, this is incredible. And people were, you know, they were learning from it and it was changing lives and losing weight. And it's just word of mouth. And that's all it takes. If you have a good product and enough people use it, you get that paradigm shift in thinking. It doesn't have to be a chicken, broccoli and rice. You can actually eat normal foods and be full and it works and you can keep the weight off. Yeah, I also think that that what you kind of circumnavigate in a wonderful way in your book is that when I think of a, a diet food that's... um you know, a peanut butter and, and banana sandwich, I think of something that's got a lot of fillers and chemicals in it. And, I, you know, I don't really mind in my life eating that sometimes, right? Uh, if I want to have something that I pick up at the store that's purely diet related, it doesn't ruin my life. There's a lot of people that will not touch that stuff and have very strong beliefs uh, around why it's really bad for you, right? Diet soda and diet this. And I, I would have to tend to agree if you were going to substitute all your food for quote unquote diet food from the store, I don't think that's a great idea. Your cookbook is all real food. It's it's not you're not having people inject chemicals into it to get it to taste good. Right. Yeah, that's an absolute misconception. People think it's all about sweeteners and protein powders and, and, and artificial junk. And I'm like, there's recipes like that, but it's a lot of fruit and vegetables. And my diet is I believe in all four food groups. I'm not trying to count at any one food group. I think you should eat everything. And I say, hey, you can have the artificial sweeteners too. Any recipe, you can make it without it. You can or you can. If you want it sweeter, have it. I am not against artificials in the least because based on the research I've done, and I've done extensive research based back, even back in university, which is like 25 years ago, I haven't seen the research to support that these things are that dangerous, that having a diet soda is worse than having a regular soda. There's no way. I think you should have the other. I don't believe that you should cut out artificial sweeteners. I'm not saying they're healthy. I'm not saying it's better to have them. It's not better. Hey, you should just add 10 packs of sweetener a day just because it helps you. I'm not saying that, but it's certainly better to take those and lose weight than to be overweight and eat perfectly healthy. I think it's better to have 
artificial sweeteners or processed foods to an extent, not all, obviously, than to just avoid them altogether and be overweight. Yeah. 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 When I hear people, uh, you know, I'll have arguments with people. You know, I get frustrated when um, A&W root beer is my favorite and they have disbanded with their diet soda because the word diet is upsetting to people. And so they've made it zero sugar A&W. And and it's like, okay, I guess it's the same. I'm a little bit like diet in this sense has a very specific meaning. It means you're restricting calories and that's what that was. It suddenly went from, you know, a hundred calories a pop to zero calories a pop. And so I see nothing wrong with calling it diet soda. Um, I, I, I like that argument, but people will get very, very angry and say like, you just need to drink the real stuff with sugar and fructose. And, and it's like, this, uh, this is a completely, mindless position in my, from my standpoint, like I was 500 pounds because I was consuming stuff like that um, without thought and just substituting uh, my, my caloric beverages with non-caloric beverages. And again, I, I drink mostly water. That's the, that's my mainstay. If I want to have a, a, a diet soda with a meal occasionally, I, I see absolutely nothing wrong with that. And it hasn't, proven to be a problem for me but there are people that believe today that it's spiking your insulin or causing some reaction that actually turns it into sugar in your blood and it's like this is not uh, scientifically sound data no everything comes down to calories in calories out they can find any cherry pick study to try to say this versus that and say that yeah you're wrong but in reality It's calories in, calories out. If you're in a deficit, regardless of how that comes, you're losing weight. And if you're in a surplus, you're gaining weight. So that doesn't matter. But people love to just argue about anything. It's like, I don't like the word diet. And they'll make a a huge fuss about it. It was like Demi Lovato or one of these girls. She went into a a Frozo shop, Froyo shop, and was like, I'm offended that it says diet here because I don't think I should have to lose weight. And you said diet in the store. And it's like, no. And it's like, Really? Can't we just be normal human beings and just live our lives? You don't like the word diet? Then shut your eyes and look at something else. Like, who cares? Call it what you want. Right. Or eat the stuff that this is based on that isn't diet, that's got all the fat and all the sugar and and that is not restricting calories. Like there is that version, too. You can just eat that. But guess what? It will go against your diet if you do that. And the funny thing is people worry about if you, let's say there's 100% of things you can worry about to lose weight. People worry about the 10% that hardly matter. And they fixate all their concerns on that gut microbiome, aspartame, what's happening. They don't worry about the 90% of the things that are going to cause 90% of the weight loss, which is just going for a freaking walk, getting off your ass and moving and just eating fewer calories and having some fruit and vegetables with some fiber. This is the basics. Everything else, if you want to stress about every little thing, eating five meals a day versus four, how many calories before bed, nutrient timing, all these little details, they matter almost nothing. You can hardly even tell the difference. That's that's for professional bodybuilders or people who are trying to peak like super athletes, but just a regular person. It's so easy to lose weight if you know what to do. It's just people don't know what to do. Yeah, I think it, it, it is slightly tricky because I think that um... – we have more autoimmune today than we've ever had before. And, and, and there are some pretty wild theories on why we in America and Canada have more autoimmune than say some third world country. And, and, you know, there was even a, this American life where it talked about how 
uh, the reduction of parasites actually our, our immune system just hasn't caught up and, and figured out how to uh, deal with having nothing to deal with. Right. And so it picks on us. And in those instances, when there is a heightened autoimmune, I would go like, yeah, some people uh, with Hajimoto's or celiac cannot eat pasta fair. But the assumption that because you gained weight equals you have Hashimoto's or celiac is not fair. It's not a good, you know, we are not all intolerant of these things. It's just, there's no, there's just no evidence of that at all. And even if you have Hashimoto's of which I coached an international bikini model who had Hashimoto's, she was winning competitions, looked freaking ridiculous. And she had this problem. My girlfriend has Crohn's disease. People have different autoimmune disorders, but it's still calories in calories out. It's still at the end of the day, are you eating too much or not? If you have, um, a, a pituitary problem or any kind of genetic problem. Maybe you don't have, your body's just messed up. You have a slow metabolism. You're just bone. I'm big boned. You can still lose weight if you don't eat as much. Everyone yeah. can. So although I get it, you have more fat cells, more ghrelin, more predisposition to gaining weight. It's just, you picked the wrong parents. You know, I didn't choose your parents for you. Like it's, <laughs> it's not my fault, but you can still lose weight. Although it's harder but if you're still in that same, if you're, if you're burning off 3,500 calories, you're burning off a pound of fat. It's still going to apply to everyone. You can't break the laws of thermodynamics. So although it's harder for you, and I feel bad that it's harder for you, you can still do it. And yeah. I think people forget that. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. In an attempt to create more of a community, we are branching out and taking our Q&A episodes and the American Glutton Social Club to Patreon. We're inviting you to join us on Patreon to have more interaction, less of me talking at you and more of me talking with you. The bonus content will start rolling out February 10th, but you don't have to wait. You can join today for extra episodes, discounts, and so much more like the Patreon only discord, which is already up and the conversations there have begun. So go find me at American Glutton on Patreon. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I had, this makes me flash to um, my wife has a lot of friends who do who get really into some of these wacky. Uh, she has one friend who will only consume water if it's caught in a glass as it comes out of some kind of a glacier and it's never touched. Like she seriously, she goes to Erwan and spends a lot of money on this water that's never been processed. And and to me, I just think it's completely insane. But uh, she has one friend who at a dinner party was very, very strict with what she ate. And she would ask you what oil was used in the cooking and what, you know, spices and this and that. And if it was uh, processed humanely, all of that. And and at one party we had, I saw her just at the buffet eating like crazy. And I was like, whoa, this is wild. This is amazing. What's happening? You've, you've, you've got, you've turned a new leaf. And she said, no, we just ran out of apple cider vinegar this morning. And since I couldn't have that, the day was ruined. And I just thought like, this is, this is the wildness. I didn't even understand what that meant, but because she didn't have apple cider vinegar that morning, her whole day equaled, she could eat whatever she wanted because the day was ruined and it was a write-off. And I, I think that's another aspect to think about is like, if you're doing something so extreme that one little matchstick can make the whole house of cards fall, this is not a life, a lifelong pursuit. No. And that sounds like orthorexia, which is the predisposition to just have an over-reliance on everything must be perfectly healthy. Everything. There's no way I'm touching that. It has aspartame. I will not drink that. It had this, it was cooked the wrong way. And you just become obsessed with health and it becomes unhealthy because you're overly concerned. And then you see somebody that makes one mistake and that, I think that example could apply to a regular person. I don't think most people are just going to be the apple cider vinegar, but a lot of people are going to have that one cheat they go out on a birthday party or they got drunk one night or whatever. And then the next day it spirals into, well, it's pizza today. You know, I'm hung over and it's pizza and garlic fingers and what have you. And then the next meal, it keeps going and going and going. I, I also see this on vacations. People go away for a week. They're on vacation. They let loose. They eat a bit more, come back. They don't exercise anymore and they keep eating like crap. So that, that um, you know, getting used to having a certain pattern or a certain lifestyle. And if you make one mistake, it's just so important to realize it's okay. You're allowed to have that. And if you don't allow that, it's either going to be all or nothing. Cause I find that's what people are. They're all or nothing. They're always eating healthy or always not dieting. They're dieting or they're eating a lot. It's back and forth. I don't know. Do you notice that it's either I'm all in or I'm all out and they don't have that, uh, that balance that we're talking about. Well, I've, I, I existed in that way for, for many decades. And so I know it very well. I, I feel like even today, there are many things which I'm all in or all out of. It's just the biggest effort in my life has been finding moderation around food, not being so, you know, I went for years of being the guy who on Thanksgiving was only having sliced skinless turkey breast. Right. And my wife would be like, you know, you're not really celebrating this holiday with us. And I'd go like, well, no, because it goes against my plan. And then there would be other Thanksgivings where it was like, I, I only want stuffing and mashed potatoes and pies because I'm all out. And so now I really put effort into making a well-balanced plate, you know, because there's got to be some moderation. But that has been the, I, you know, I, I completely agree with you. All diets work. I think uh, finding what's right for you as an individual is the right way to do it. 
But for me, the thing that I've put the most effort into is moderation. And that, that includes sometimes cutting myself some slack and at other times being really disciplined with my behavior. You know, it's a balance. And I think it's funny. It's gotten to the point now where people think you have an eating disorder if you eat healthy. I've been, I've been told all the time, you have an eating disorder. What well, I go up with my friends and they'll like, we'll have a party and they'll bring in chips and candies and junk, all lots of it. And I'm like, we're all drinking here. I'm going to have some popcorn. You're going to eat your chips and the eating disorder. Because I'm eating popcorn and I care about my health, I'm, I'm drinking the alcohol. I'm, I'm getting you're, I'm clearly drunk here, but yet I have an eating disorder because I don't want the extra calories because I still want to be under 10%. It's not an eating disorder to be healthy. I don't know where they get that. I have balance. Like if my girlfriend orders a pizza, I might have one slice and she'll eat the rest. And it's like, I don't want to eat the whole pizza. It's like, you have an eating disorder because you don't eat the whole pizza. I'm like, no, I have a, I care about my health disorder. Is that bad? Like, I don't understand how people don't relate to what I think is normal to be healthy. Yeah. I just think that that as we grow fatter and fatter as a continent, that um, these things are going to be judged differently. You know, the barometer or the parameters for what the disorder was has moved significantly because a lot of this stuff is based on statistical analysis. And so 50 years ago, everybody... obesity was far less. So it was not the norm. Now it's far more. So I think more and more, the people who are actively trying to be healthy will be considered a disorder because it goes away from the norm. It's a bizarre place to find ourselves in today. And years ago, growing up, because I'm old now, I'm 46. It was only women that had eating disorders. Like no one would talk about it. Could a man have an eating disorder? Now, every second guy has body dysmorphia or binge, binge eating disorder. I'm like, to me, binge eating disorder, it's a disorder for some, but it's not a disorder if you just eat a lot. Like if I go to a buffet and I can't stop eating, I don't have a disorder. It's just the food tastes freaking good and I'm eating it. That's okay. If you do it all the time because you had a bad day and you're sad and you do it and emotionally eat with that and it's like all the time, sure, you can have a, a disorder. But for the most part, food is food. And if you eat a lot, you don't have a disorder. If you exercise a lot one day and you go for a six or eight hour bike ride like you were doing, it was, didn't even have a cardio disorder, but perhaps if you do it every single day and if you miss one day, you cry all day because, oh my God, I missed a day of bike riding. Well, that could be a disorder, but I think we're I, going overboard here. I, I had, I happened to have that disorder. I did experience that disorder. Okay, great. So now let's talk about this. You are the very first guy who looks the way you do, who I look to for advice and like inspiration, who talks about cardio. I don't think many other guys that are as built as you are uh, advocates for cardio. Cardio has been demonized throughout the years. When I was a younger kid and they would say cardio, only do cardio when you're dieting for the show, because if you do it in the off season, it's bad because then how will you burn the calories later? And cardio is going to burn up all your muscle because the last time when I did a diet, my leg shrunk because I was doing cardio and I'm like, was it the cardio or the fact that you bulked up and had to lose 50 pounds in three months to make it to the stage? So you're eating 1,600 calories a day and eating 5,000 in the off season, and you did two to three hours of cardio a day, and you think it's the cardio that ruined your physique. I'm here racing bikes, and I'm doing triathlons, and I look pretty good all the time, and then I do my show, and I don't lose muscle from doing this cardio. So I don't believe that's a problem. Now, I do believe you can do too much cardio if you're doing too much 
I mean, and, and this is quite debatable because I'm a fan of just telling you to do steady state, normal, regular cardio. Hit cardio to me, that's bad. Like if you're trying to build a lot of muscle and you're running and doing sprints all the time and your legs are sore from the cardio that you're doing, it's going to make it harder to do squats. But if you're just doing 15% incline walk, doing the elliptical, riding the bike, and you can't do weights, then you're out of shape. You need to do more cardio. There's a problem. And the heart, that's the most important muscle. People are neglecting that. I mean, I want to look good, but I also want to live to be older, you know? So, and I've abused PDs in the past, so I've made those mistakes, but I'm just trying to be healthy now, trying to make up for it. So to me, cardio, it is so important. And I don't know why more people don't do it. Yeah, it does. It. I mean, but th- then there are, there are the cardio advocates who don't always seem to have a lot of muscle. This is what happened to me was when I got super into cycling, I uh, was doing eight hours a day, six days a week on the bike, and I lost a ton of weight and I got really, really thin. I also wasn't eating. And, and I how got tall are you? Six one. Six one. Yeah. So you lost a, a lot of weight, a yeah, lot of weight. Definitely. I got to be two fifteen, and I just felt emaciated and I wasn't happy with my body. And so then I gained weight back up to over 400 pounds again and then lost it in a much slower way and was much happier with it. But in doing that, I was only really using cardio for times when I was cutting. And then when I was like doing maintenance, I would not do anything And I I actually am happier now when I've implemented it into like, just, it's a part of my everyday now. And what would, how much bike riding you're doing now or cardio in general in comparison? No no bike riding now. I'm, uh, I do, um, I, it, it, it progresses. So like, uh, week one of a phase, I'll do 30 minutes a day on the elliptical. And then week two will be 35 and I'll build up to about an hour a day of cardio. And then I'll take a week of less and then I'll basically start over. And that could be anything on a rowing machine, not really a stationary bike, but elliptical. And I take walks with my dogs. I don't really count that. Um, but it's the rowing machine and the elliptical machine is how I get. Yeah. So you're basically uh, progressive overloading your cardio, then taking a deload and transferring over to something else to keep your body guessing to me, keep it exciting. Perhaps you got bored of bike riding all the time. For me, I love bike riding because I'm on Zwift and I can race against other people. So it's highly motivating. If I actually go outside on a beautiful day, I have less fun doing that than racing inside. It makes no sense, but I'm trying to chase that person, that carrot, in front of me, I'm trying to beat that rider. And so I can push myself so much harder. It's just so much fun. But that's being somebody who's competitive. You know, I haven't powerlifted in a while. I haven't bodybuilded. So that competitive aspect where I grew up in my entire life competing in various sports, I, I just love that. So if you're a competitive person, you I find you have to turn cardio into some form of a competition. Perhaps it's against yourself. You burn more calories in the same length of time on the rower, the bike, the treadmill, whatever, but make it fun, make it challenge and try to keep improving yourself. And that can get you addicted to the cardio the way that people get addicted to the weights. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is something that when I really started implementing it more seriously, when it wasn't just like I'm cutting, so I have to do cardio. It was just like, I want it to be a part of my maintenance repertoire. Um, I, I actually felt better. Like, doing weights then was enhanced by it, you know? Yeah. And do you find that when you were biking six to eight hours, like you were addicted to it per se, were you doing that because you wanted to be able to eat more? Cause obviously you're burning off a ton of calories 
were you doing the bike riding to offset the calories? So was it like, I'm going to eat this cheeseburger and I'm going to burn it off and I'm going to eat this cheesecake and burn off. Was it like that? Or were you addicted to the feeling you got from the cardio itself? Like, I'm really curious why the six to eight hours, because I have friends locally that they go on some rides, like hundreds of like two and 300 kilometer rides. And I'm like, I'm in shape, but like, I don't have the motivation to do that. Like after hundred K I'm like, that's good. So I'm just really curious what got you to get to that amount and like how long did it take to build up to that? I, you know, it was, uh, I, I had been doing a job for a number of years and progressively gaining weight while doing this job. And then the job ended. And so I woke up one morning, like I should start figuring out how to lose weight again. And I got on a beach cruiser and we lived on the side of a mountain and I just rode my beach cruiser up to the top of the mountain and rode around the top of this mountain and was like, that was actually pretty fun. I'm going to start doing this. So it, it was very gradual. I then graduated just to, um, it wasn't a, it wasn't a road bike, but it was like a hybrid, like mountain street bike kind of a thing. And then I rode that around for a while. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get cleats and I'm going to get a road bike and I'm going to try spandex and all of this. And, you know, I think it was always a, a weight loss strategy that then grew into something that I would get such a feeling of elation at the end of, you know, 150 miles on the bike that was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before outside of like maybe drugs. And so it was, it was both, it was trying to lose weight, but I, I was doing really stupid stuff, Greg. Like um, I would only, there was a time where I would only allow myself to eat while riding the bike. And then once I was off the bike, it would be like, you know, um, this stuff called Carbolite, which is probably what triggered Demi Lovato that, uh, you know, sugar-free frozen yogurt or something like that. So I, I was really malnourished. I, I, I always wonder today if I had had my nutrition dialed in, how much better I would have been at it. You know, I'm fascinated. You could do all that. Like I bonk hard. I'm like a guy that if I, when I'm on a diet and I get below 8% body fat, I, I love bike riding. I had to cut it out for my last show. I had to cut it out because I got out 30 minutes and I'm like, I'm just going to do an hour. No problem. 30 minutes. I'm going. All right. I barely got home. I had to walk the bike home. It was to that point where I'm like going over side of the road and I'm like, and I ate a little bit, but like, and I wasn't in a big calorie deficit, maybe 500. I was eating 3000 calories a day. Like that's pretty good calories. And it wasn't enough energy. My body fat was too low and I physically couldn't do it. And if I had to ride, 150 miles. I physically couldn't have done it. Like I would not have been able to what, no matter how much food I got, I just couldn't do it. My body fat's too low. So I'm, I'm just surprised. Like some people just have, I think maybe just better genetics to be able to push yourselves when they just have no energy because I can't do it. Like I physically can't do that much cardio when I'm dieting to that extent. But if I'm overweight a little bit, like not overweight, but if I'm heavier, no problem. I can bike like that. I, I just feel better. Well, I think I never, I never, even when I got to 215, I was never, I never had abs at 215. I had like a, a shot. Well, I saw the shirt and I, or the, the topless shot and I could see your abs. Yeah, but like, but like it, it's not the same as the abs that I had when I was intentionally trying to get abs and then, you know, and dieted down um, uh, very specifically while doing resistance training. The abs were not the same. If I was just standing in front of a mirror at 215, 
I could see a, a shadow down the center of my stomach. So that's right. like the beginning of abs. That's still probably 14, 15% body fat though at, at my thinnest. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's body is going to show different in terms of their abs. Perhaps I know you would have lost. I mean, you were 550. You have to have a lot of loose skin, perhaps a skin, not as quite as tight. Like I've pinched like my skin, like I should really pull like my skin pulls, like you can really stretch it out. Other people, I pinch their body fat and I can't even pinch it. So I think that some people's skin is shrink wrapped more around their biceps, triceps, abs or whatever. And the tighter the skin is, the more abs you're going to see. And so if you lost a lot of weight, you could probably pull your skin out quite far. It'll probably make it harder to see your abs or your quads or any muscle actually. Yeah. No. Yeah. I had billowing folds of skin. So that was definitely a, a factor also. Um, but I, you know, I got for a day below 10% body fat for a few minutes. And um, I just like the abs were the abs of my dream. It was like, you know, it's not, it's not your abs because I still, my skin is loose, but they're way more visible. So I just don't think I ever got that lean. Even at 215, I think my body was consuming fat and upper, upper, uh, upper lean tissue from the upper part of my body because I had no chest. I had no biceps back then, you know. And it's interesting. Fat comes from different eras. When I was younger, my stomach, that was the first thing to get ripped. I would have the full on great looking six pack and have soft legs. And I would go into a bodybuilding competition. It was my abs that stood out. People are like, what's your best body part? It's my abs. So I had really, really good abdominals, which made me stand out more in bodybuilding because my muscles weren't really that big. I was a lightweight at the time, like under 155 pounds. And as I got older, my abs look worse now, but I've had like uh, uh, hernias and different surgeries and stuff. So they don't look as good as when they were younger. And I've, but my other body parts have gotten leaner. So now my quads, hamstrings are shredded all the time, even right now, but my abs don't look as good. So it's funny how time can change the appearance of your muscles and just being genetically blessed with like really good abdominals. You could actually be 25% body fat and have pretty nice abs. If you have that great genetics for, for that or have 15% body fat and really barely see the abs, but have like super lean legs. Yeah. I got down once on a DEXA and it, I was a little frustrated at the time on a DEXA scan. My legs were at 9% body fat. My abdominum was at 15% body fat. So then the overall score is still pretty good. But I'm going yeah. like, why are my legs so lean? And I've still got this. It wasn't it wasn't really a gut at all, but like it was, cut, you know, soft abs. And I noticed whatever you don't have is what you complain about. Girls will be like, oh, I don't have my abs. But yet they'll have like the amazing glutes, like big round booty. Or they might have a chubbier stomach, but they have a flat bum, but they have breasts or they have straight hair that's gorgeous and they want <laughs> curly hair and it's like blonde or black. I'm like. Whatever you got, you want something else. No yeah. one's happy with the, what they have. So, you know, you, you can't, you can't win. Like, you know, for women now, the, the look is like slim thick. Like you got to have this like teeny little waist and be curvy everywhere. So you have to be obese. Like you got to be obese because you got to have fat everywhere. You got to clap their asses doing that twerk dance. You have to have a tremendous amount of fat, but it can't be in here. <laughs> I mean, what kind of genetics you have? You can't just say, I want to have a six pack and have ass fat everywhere. It's just, it's just not fair. Like, and, and they do it from the Brazilian butt list and stuff. So they are having those surgeries. And of course, like 
um, what do you call it? Photoshopping and stuff to make it look a certain way. But the beauty standards for males and females now, it's impossible. There's no way you can look like that. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Gals, have you ever seen a professional bodybuilder at the gym? They almost always, and this is in fair or foul weather, come in wearing at least one sweatshirt. Usually the hood is pulled up, and oftentimes there's a towel crammed in there to keep even the slightest breeze off their necks. And when the sweatshirt comes off, watch out for the ubiquitous tank top underneath. Well, you know where you can get sweatshirts, gym towels, and tank tops? The American Glutton Store, that's where. And fellas, don't think we've left you out. We've got windbreakers for the real savages. Anyone working out in a windbreaker has unlocked legend status in my book. And if your feet get cold when you're wearing shoes, we've got socks too. Visit AmericanGlutton.net slash shop today and level up your gym game. That's AmericanGlutton.net slash shop. What do you think of this um, healthy at every size movement? What are your thoughts on that? Is that a net positive or a net negative? I think overall it's bad. I think that people shouldn't think you can be healthy in any size. I think you should be proud of who you are, be proud of how you look and be confident, but be under the, but be under the impression that I would be better if I were leaner. Like be, if you're 300 pounds, you should be confident, happy and love your body and try to be healthy at that weight, but realize if you lost a hundred pounds, you would be healthier. Like you, you can be, if a 300 pound person, two 300 pound people, they're twins, one exercises and one doesn't, and they're both 300 pounds. The one who's exercising is definitely healthier than this person. But if they both lost a hundred pounds, they'd both be healthier regardless. Yeah. So you can be healthy ish, but not healthier than if you lost the weight. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that I, I think I agree entirely with what you're saying. I, I really do think it's important that people care for themselves and have confidence. Like, I don't think that any pursuit that you could go after is going to be benefited by self-doubt. I think you have to have confidence. You have to believe that what you're doing is going to work and that you can do it. Number one. And if healthy at every size makes you feel that way, great. Next you're probably better off in the health department if you aren't morbidly obese. And these two things are not really in conflict in my mind. And I tell people you should, should love yourself, but love yourself enough to do something about it, to make it worth it. Like there was a study I read the other day, 10 minutes of cardio uh, every day for seven days a week would save a hundred thousand plus lives in the United States alone. By just doing 10, if everyone just added 10 minutes of cardio to their day, and if they did 20 and 30 minutes, maybe even more, but people are sitting there and they're not willing to do it. And it would save lives, add years to your life. And there's not even work to do 10 minutes of cardio. It's shocking. So we have, um, what the heck is that? I forget her name. I'm horrible with names, but um, no, it's not going to come to me. But, you know, they're promoting obesity, rubbing their bellies, saying, you know, I love my stomach and eat and it's all fantastic. She's a famous singer. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you trying to promote? Promote that being over 400 pounds is healthy and you don't need to lose weight. Like, why don't you tell people to go for a walk and eat healthy? Makes no sense to me. Yeah. By the way, she does exercise. I know who you're talking about. I'm blanking on her name too. Um, but she does exercise and she does like, she, she doesn't seem to, she, when she talks about food, she is very specific with what she eats. So she's a big girl who still has some kinds of health practices, which, is odd because 
when I was that size, I had zero health practices. You know, it was just uh, kind of just pure debauchery. <laughs> and I think the sad thing of this is if she's actually healthy or if she's actually doing cardio and training and all this stuff, and I'm not aware of it. And trust me, I would want to know, but I get all the DMs and like, look at this video she's posted and look at this and look at this TikTok. And I'm like, oh my God. So if she's actually exercising, why isn't she saying that? She should be saying, look, people, my weight is not healthy, but I am doing something about it. I'm trying. It's just, it's so hard. And then, you know, I love my body enough that I know I would be better if I lost weight. I'm trying, but I just can't. Yeah. I would accept that. I would say, you know, you're trying. Uh, how can you fault someone for trying? You're doing the best you can. Maybe if she weren't doing the cardio, maybe she'd be 600 pounds. Like we don't know. So as long as someone's trying, they're doing the best they can. That's all that matters really. But if you're just sitting on your ass and don't care, like that Tammy, the thousand pound sisters. It's like, what is wrong? Like, how can you not care about your life that much that you're not willing to try? Yeah. Do you think that uh, as we arrive in a, in a, uh, as we are exiting this pandemic, it seems like it's, it's dying down. It's, this is my, I hope. Yeah, me too. This is my <laughs> perception that the, the last wave wasn't wiping people out. Um, and we've also come to find that the vaccination really is just um, in broad effect going to reduce the death of the people who get the vaccination. It does nothing to protect me from you if you get right. vaccinated. Yeah, I got it and I was doubled. Yeah. So, so yeah. you can get it. You can give it. These are but you would reduce hospitalization. So really it is about at the end of the day, personal health. Do you find it odd that when people are advocating so hard for something that does come down to a, a, a tap on resources like hospital beds, that there aren't other things being focused on that are maybe even a bigger tap on resources like hospital beds? Yeah, frankly, it made me sad throughout the entirety of this that I couldn't just make videos and saying, look, people, if we cared about our fitness as much as we care about what's going on right now, the world would save more lives, would be healthier than any of this. Like there's more, it would make more difference to be physically active, to eat healthy, do cardio and all this than every mandate that they're trying to impose. I was like, you have no idea how important it is to be physically active and to eat healthy and to care about your fitness. And all this is done really at the end is gotten things worse in terms of the physical fitness of the average person has gone up higher in body weight, more body fat, the gym closures, people have gotten unhealthier. And what we're going to see 10 or 20 years from now is worse fitness results, more hospitalizations. The kids that, for example, had the sh sh school shut down, I was a phys ed teacher. And if you can't hold hands and play your ring around the rosies and all your different games and all the different things that you're doing in the gym class, you're going to gain weight. You're not going to like sports as much. People are sitting at home and playing. This is their sports. Now they're gamers. They're not out there with their friends and playing around. And so you lose that desire to be fit and to be active with other people. And that's going to continue and continue and continue. And it's like it's downward spiral. And we're going to see in the future, even more health problems. It's only going to get worse. So what happened in the last two years, we're going to see these negative effects years, decades down the road. Yeah. It, it is a very um, confusing time because I think even I've had conversations with even people who who uh, agree like, yes, it really is at this day and age today. We know that this 
mandated vaccination is just to uh, keep hospitals less inundated, right? It's not about you infecting me. It's no longer about that, that there is no, not a moment of, well, look, look at what people are consuming mostly. Look at the state of overall health in, in this, in North America. Like it's, it's, I, I think I totally agree with you. It, it is yeah. a little depressing. It's very sad because all our efforts were put on this one thing and, and you only have so many resources. If every effort is made on improving one aspect of health, which is great, it's great that they're improving that, other aspects of health are going by the wayside. You're losing out on other health benefits that you could have been getting. So you can only put all your eggs in a certain amount of baskets. And if they're all in this one basket, you're losing out everywhere else. And that is what I think we've done. And I think that we're going to see the negative impact of that years down the road. Yeah. Greg, this has been wonderful. I've, I've, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. Thank you so much for doing this. It was great to be here. I hope to do it again. Yeah. If you have any questions for me, feel free. Or if we covered it all, we're good. I was, I was really excited to talk about cycling. We covered all that. I was really happy. I really, that was the most exciting thing for me because when I saw you were six to eight hours a day biking, I was like, how did he do this? And he lost so much weight. And I mean, that was just really exciting because I just love bike riding and try to get everyone to do it. You know, once I went, um, uh, I forget what year, but I went um, and followed the tour de France. This, I think you would love doing something like this. I would. And you like get up every morning and you ride the stage and then by the, you get to the finish line and then you watch the race happen and they move your stuff to the next town. That was awesome. That would be fun. Had you ever crashed? Like I've got two broken elbows. So that was three years ago, broke the elbow, had tricep surgery. And then this one, not too many times. If you rode that much, you must have been in some accidents. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have, um, I don't know if you can really see it, but I, I had one crash, broke my helmet, got 37 stitches in my head. My yep. eyebrow was hanging here. I had a herniated quad once I have, um, you know, lots of, I had exposed tendons on this hand because this hand went down. Yeah, I had I, I had some gnarly crashes. It's a dangerous sport. The scariest thing is getting hit by a car. Like I'm scared. Like I'm not the safest rider. I don't know what I'm doing. So being on the stationary bike inside, I'm like, yeah, I probably should stay there more often than not. And is it just a regular bike hooked up to uh, rollers? It's literally a, a tax bike uh, or what is it called? The DO bike or it's, it's, it's a bike. It's like 70 pounds. It's a bike on its own. So you can't attach anything. It's the top of the line. It has your watts calculated. It gives you all the metrics. So I'm a very numbers oriented guy. It's not a bike you could ride outside. No, I have okay. several different bikes. I used to have the kind where you just attach the bike on it. You put the gearing on the cassette and it just goes, I think that was the tax Neo. This one's the, more of the top of the line device. It's great. It says your watch, your heart rate, it calculates all the metrics. So I can see if I improve 1% of my fitness, it tells me I love yeah. it. Well, I, I do know that we had, um, I'm blanking on what it was called. It was not soul cycle, but there was one spin class in, uh, America that I would go to and you would wear a heart monitor and all the bikes and you could opt in or out in the class and you were competing. And I remember that that would get me fired up. Like if there was a dude that I was going head to head with and it was like, who is going to win this? Who is going to push more watts for this 45 minutes? That would yeah. be fun. So I, I, I'm going to look into this. What's it called again? The bike? Um, can you guys look what the bike's called? 
It's a TAC-X. TAC-X? TAC-X. The brand is TAC-X. 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 Me, me and my brother, my brother, we call him Editor Steve. He's about 25, 30 pounds smaller than me, not quite as built, but he's smaller. So he doesn't have to put as much power. And it races based on your height and your weight. So if you're smaller, you don't have to put as much watts. So we go into races all the time. And one race he'll beat me and another race I'll beat him. Depends if it's a hill or a downhill and the whole thing. It's so much fun. And there's different categories, D, C, B, and A. Uh, we both race in the B division, which the A is the top of the best, the best riders. So you start in D and you progress your way up. And then, you know, every time you go up a letter, you're at the bottom and you work your way up again. Now we're pretty, pretty much at the top of the B division. So it's fun. You can just keep progressing. Do they have like crit races and, and anything on tracks? They have crit races, they have short races, they have sprints, long distance races, 100 plus kilometer races, short, long, all the way up a mountain. They have stages in the Tour de France that you can ride. It's like awesome. And it, you, they have real world, like you can actually do the Champs-Élysées. You're riding at mm-hmm. the same bumps. And if you go up a hill, the, the gears get harder. So you're like getting off the seat and pedaling. It's, it's just like riding in the real world. Wow. I'm going to check this out. That's so much fun. fun. Yeah, because I did have at one point uh, my bike hooked up to rollers. And I just didn't like how it felt. It didn't feel the same as riding outside. And it wasn't a, a lack of wind. I think I, I might have hooked it up incorrectly, but I'm going to look into this. Well, you got to have fans. On. Yeah. There's, uh, I'll lose seven or eight pounds if I don't have the uh, fans on in just over an hour. I, I did a race the other day and I lost three pounds. I drank a full water bottle during the ride and I have a massive fan behind me and one in front. Still lost three, four pounds in an hour while drinking water crazy it is something that you you uh, you do miss that wind right if you're riding inside if you have the fan it feels like you're riding in the wind like i i just love it i have the 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 earbuds on i got the music i play my favorite music during the race and i just go that's awesome. awesome awesome greg thank you so much yeah no problem this was a great interview i loved being here thanks for listening to this episode of american glutton I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. 
Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.